Hello and welcome to Game Pass Forever, a standalone segment of the Outside is Overrated podcast. This is the final segment of Game Pass Forever where we played a game off the Xbox Game Pass library as voted on by our Patreon supporters. Moving forward, we're doing OIO Game Club every month. We're starting with Diablo 4 from mid-December to mid-February. We welcome the entire Outside is Overrated community to play with us, and we invite our Patreon supporters to join us on mic to discuss the games. If you want to be a part of the conversation, support Outside is Overrated on Patreon at www.patreon.com OIO. Outside is Overrated is presented by Premier Health. Check out their website at premierhealthmn.com. With all those formalities out of the way, I'm your host, Tom Sidlatik, and I'm excited to wrap up our discussion on Lies of P by Korean developer Neowiz tonight. Joining us for the discussion are Dr. C, Casey Aline. Hey, what's going on, everybody? And friends of the show, Mike Mathwig. Hello. And Brandon Casper. Hello, hello. Released in September 19th of 2023, Lies of P is the third console title by the developer. It has a Metacritic rating of 84 on Xbox. Inspired by Souls games, in Lies of P you play a dark version of Pinocchio on his quest to become human. The city of Krat has fallen to a puppet uprising. You have to slay enemies, find weapons, upgrade your skills, and take down big bosses to build your stronghold and save the day. The core gameplay loop involves moving down a corridor, killing all the enemies in the way, unlocking a shortcut at the end of the hallway, Fight a boss, return to Hotel Crot to upgrade your stats and tools, and then repeat for 45-ish hours. Casper, I invited you to join us because I know Lies of P was one of your favorite games this year. What's your history with Souls-like games, and where does Lies fit within that hierarchy? Yeah, I started with Souls games back in 2020 when I first started on Bloodborne, which, it's funny, I bounced off that really, really hard when I first started playing it, gave it about a week and a half rest, came back, and I've been an absolute Souls fan ever since. Bloodborne was amazing, and I would really, I would say this, Lies of P, probably even better than Bloodborne, and I would say mostly because of how fast-paced everything is, and just running at 60 frames versus 30 frames for Bloodborne, it just seemed like it was just such a smoother game, it was beautiful all around, and and the gameplay just kept moving. Uh, When it came to Lies of P, I probably had more fun with this game than any other Souls game I've played up to this point. That's really high praise. Uh, I know you've played Dark Souls 1. I believe you've dabbled with 2, maybe completed 3. Uh, what other games have you messed with in this genre? Uh, Elden Ring was the other one. Uh, that was a really fun game. Probably put 150 hours into that one, uh, a couple playthroughs. But this one I have played, Liza P. I've played this through two times now. I started my third playthrough, but had to take care of some other games, so I had to, had to quit for a little bit. Sure. Well, we'll bounce to Casey. Casey, you were openly hostile towards this game in our part one discussion. Did your stance change at all after some more time in Krat? I mostly yes. Uh, I, I'm still really bad at the combat, and I don't like it, and that's just a me thing. But like everything else in this game is fantastic, and it really changed me. Everything, the characters, the environment that they stick you in and make you go through, the storytelling, um, it really. Kind of started to draw me in there towards the end yeah it is uh i i hesitate to call it a masterpiece but i really love this game mike you've played a bunch of souls game how does the combat and lies of p hold up against some of those other titles well i think it's up there with the best combat wise and maybe maybe not up there with say neo but uh just for pure combat i think it's as good as bloodborne just about or elden ring or any of the other you know heavy hitters 
Then, Casper, your thoughts on the combat compared to some of the other Souls-like games that you've played, particularly Bloodborne? Yeah, like I was saying, it's just really, really smooth. I felt all the dodges were great. The parry windows I thought were very, very fair. We got to do a lot of parrying in uh, Sekiro, which that one is unbelievably difficult, getting all the parry windows down. But this, I thought, was really fair for the most part. Uh, the wind-up sucked a little bit for, uh, in most of the gameplay. But other than that, it seemed like, you know, after about 30 or 40 times losing at a boss, you, you get them going pretty good. Gasper, do you think that parrying is fun in the game? I'll put some words in Casey's mouth here. Casey hated the parry system with a burning, fiery passion. Is it a mechanic that you generally enjoy in games? It is. I loved Sekiro. That was another one of my favorite games in the in the whole Souls-like industry. This one, I I thought it was absolutely amazing. I would I would try to parry almost every single time versus trying to learn a, a roll or a dodge mechanic. And jumping through your second and third player throughs, you actually get uh, some additional uh, P organ type abilities that you can even start blocking the red attacks as well. So with that one, it actually the uh, subsequent playthroughs are almost too easy because you can block just about anything you want at that point easily uh, without the perfect parry, which makes it a lot easier on that subsequent playthroughs. And I'm with Casey. I hate the parry system with a burning fire passion. I have a terrible sense of rhythm, so it was very hard for me to nail those different parry windows. Mike, what side of the fence do you come in on on whether or not parrying is a fun system? It's fun when you can do it. I'm just not very good at it. When I can do it, I feel so good. But because I'm not very good at it, there's only a few attacks I ever really get good at parrying, and usually I just dodge most everything else. I roll around boards in every Souls-like game like my life depends on it because literally it does like i roll around and try to get behind and that's my entire game like speed and rolling like i i do not aim to go toe-to-toe -to -toe with anybody you know i was a big fan of games like amplitude and i feel like the parry systems are almost like a like a mechanic almost like amplitude where it's all timing and rhythm based for the most part so i always enjoyed that sort of a system so you're saying I'm doomed for all time. Great. Were there any particular <laughs> enemies that gave you guys a lot of trouble? I'll start with one. The stupid clown puppet ate my lunch every time. Like, there's the one up on top of the hill, and you can run past him and get to the Stargazer. Thank you for that tip, Mike. Uh, I really, really struggled with both him, and there's another iteration of the clown puppet later in the game. Is, were there any, like, standard or sub-boss characters that gave you guys trouble? I'll jump all in on them. that one. <laughs> anything that was half the size seemed like they were just ridiculously difficult to deal with like the little baby puppets and anything that was missing their legs i felt were just like really difficult to to maneuver around i didn't struggle with those so much like they eat a lot of flamethrower like i would see those things like i'd learn their little trap patterns i'm like all right i'm gonna trigger the first one then i'm gonna run backwards and just roast them as they chase after me the fat clown puppets really gave me some trouble first time I met them. There's what, two or three of them, and all of them were a pain in the butt. Yeah, they are the worst. I'm glad that you validated me on that. As far as where the combat in Lies of Peace stacks up against some of the other Souls games, or uh, where this game just lines up against other Souls games, I rated, rated it second to Jedi Fallen Order. Like I, I love both these games equally jedi fallen order has a killer ending and like star wars to pull me through uh but i thought they were right in the same neighborhood casey with uh jedi fallen order being the other only other souls game you've played how would you stack the combat systems between the two games against each other 
I like Jedi Fallen Order better than this one only because for me Jedi Fallen Order seemed just a little bit more forgiving if I screwed up. But you so went... I wasn't I didn't die near as much <laughs> in Fallen Order. But you went to Dathomir and you got stuck and it was game over for you on like your second planet. So like it's yeah, that didn't have anything to do with the combat though. That had everything to do with me going to a planet that I was not near enough equipped to handle, and then getting stuck having to swing over a double vine hit that wasn't meant to go backwards on so that that was mainly the issue with that and eventually i was able to do it but it was it it was extremely frustrating it took way longer than it should and uh yeah i should have just never never gone there don't don't listen to your son i guess is the moral of that story yeah kids ruin everything am i right uh casper <laughs> We talked about weapons quite a bit on our P1 discussion, part one discussion. What weapons did you favor between your different playthroughs, and what do you think of the overall suite of options for combat? Yeah, this, like many Souls games, way too many weapon options for me. I usually pick one pretty early on, and that's the one I stick with pretty much the entire game. I fell in love with the Booster Glaive on my first playthrough. Only because of the reach of the strong attack. It was really easy to wind up, and then he'd move in as he's swinging, which gives you a little bit of extra oomph. That sounds like that would be phenomenally helpful for the end boss, where I was swinging a big axe, and he was always just beyond my reach. Yeah, it was it was okay. Is The end boss was really fast, so even the booster glaive, I had a little bit of a uh, trouble with him. Getting those perfect parries with him with the booster glaive was pretty essential to beat him at the end of the game. After my first playthrough, I just did a little bit of research and just found out what some overpowered combos were. And funny enough, it was the police baton handle with the wrench top. So I actually did my second playthrough with that, and I felt like I just crushed everything with it. It was so quick and powerful and almost cheat mode seemed like. In your first playthrough, did you mix and match your handles and weapons at all? Because I, I basically played with weapons as they came. I didn't tinker with that system at all. No, I play with the booster glaive for the most part, and then I would try a couple of the more legendary weapons you get by turning in the echoes. But other than that, no, I didn't play hardly with any of the the handle swapping or any of that mechanic. Well, interesting. Casper found a weapon he liked and stuck with it. Mike, what did you do, and what were your thoughts on the overall suite? I really like all the weapon options. There's so many of them. I first playthrough mostly just rotated through the standard weapons. And then second time, I was playing more with the boss weapons. I didn't really engage with the weapon handle adjustments. I kind of wish I had. And if I ever do a third playthrough, I think that's what I would do is experiment with that stuff more. But I really like a lot of the weapons. Yeah, I thought it was a pretty cool suite of options. Casey, your thoughts on the weapons and the tools that you encountered in your less-than-complete playthrough of Lies of P? Yeah, I mean, I'm only, I don't know, just over 10 hours in, so I didn't get a whole lot of... I didn't get that far into it. I think I unlocked five or six different weapons, but I mainly stuck with uh, two main ones because I'm still mainly fighting puppets. So I used the, uh, um, what's it? It's called the, the one with the, the electric coil, and it, it worked, you know, really well um, against the puppets early in the game when you need need the electricity to do some uh, added damage. And then the other ninety percent of the game, I just used the great sword, which is the first weapon that I started with because it was the only thing that I was used to playing with and was the most effective at 
once I had them electrified, dealing a lot more damage. Um, I experimented a little bit with switching the weapons where or, uh, the handles. Um, I put the Thalamander dagger blade on the fire axe handle just to give it a little bit extra length, but it's still, I think it was just way too, at the base damage, it was just way, way too, uh, way too weak and it, and it still didn't have enough range for the way that I like to play. So I didn't, uh, didn't stick with it for very long. Yeah, I used the Salamander Dagger for a while. Ironically, I put that blade on the uh, wrench handle to give it more reach. And I found that I really liked the elemental effects in this game. So when I got to the uh, tree where you can do a respec, I'm like, all right, well, let's throw this entire build in the trash and uh, let's put a lot of points into advance. So like I used uh, for a while the Salamander Blade against human enemies and the Acid Lance against everything else. Uh, I used the Acid Spear right up through the final boss of the game like once i found that that was my primary weapon and then i'd alternate my second weapon with other things that would fit whatever situation i was currently in i uh, use the holy sword and of the ark for a lot of the game as my secondary weapon and the trident of the covenant against puppets once i found the acid axe relatively late in the game i'm like oh this is my jam and i went into play through two with the acid axe because i just i love the elemental damage in this game and uh, capacity, advance, and hit points were my main upgrade points. Do you guys have any other thoughts on the weapons before we jump into the next uh, mechanic? Hearing none, in addition to the weapons, you have special attachments for your arm, fable arts that are unique to each weapon and handle, grindstones, and wish stones at your disposal. Casey, what was your favorite accessory for the old murder puppet? Yeah, I mean, like the weapons, I didn't get too far into the options and upgrades, but my I go-to uh, was the puppet string, which is the first one they give you, um, because, again, my familiarity with it. And I could see, like, Casper, I think it was you, you said, like, you used the same weapon the entire time for your first playthrough, right? Like, I would have a really hard time jumping away from something, too, unless it was giving me a massive advantage, because trying to relearn timing and attacks and everything like that would just be i don't know just just seems like as somebody for me like who i was struggling with the basic parts of this game trying to switch to different weapons and stuff would be even more to try to overcome especially later in the game when bosses are getting more and more difficult um but yeah so like the that's why i stuck with the puppet string and then the Fulminis, Fulminis, which is that, that electric shock arm, but I didn't use that a whole lot because the secondary weapon I was using was a shock weapon, so I was getting a lot more use out of the puppet string, um, and then you know, it was really helpful against some of the bomb chuckers and stuff, getting them close and getting behind them to do more damage, and uh, yeah, but so that was that, and then like all the fable arts and stuff, I used that quite a bit, especially during boss fights, um, but I didn't get uh, get didn't get too far into the game uh, to get to more some of the other things like the uh, wish stone and all that sort of stuff. I didn't really get to, to to utilize that at all. I don't think you missed out much with the wish stone, but it's an interesting thing that you brought up uh, that you and Casper both stuck with a weapon that you found early on, and like 
it occurs to me that with the spear, that just fits how I like playing games too. Like I like speed and aggression, and I like to dictate the tempo. Uh, so finding a weapon that was really quick was key for me, and it just I found something that fit my natural playstyle. And then with the added benefit of elemental damage, it's like oh, well this isn't just a puny weapon anymore. Like with the elemental effect, I can really pile up damage. So it's interesting. Uh, I hadn't really made that connection before. Casper, what were some of your favorite tools beyond the weapons in this game? Yeah, I didn't do use tools very often. I, I wouldn't consider myself a purist because I'm not by any uh, stance of the of, of the uh, of the that point. But what I what I really liked is this puppet string, not for boss fights, but just for running through levels. Because bring, being able to aggro one enemy at, at a time was pretty awesome. But there was one grindstone that I would use quite often during my boss fights, and that was the, the perfection grindstone. And what that did is once you pop that guy. You could block normally, and every block that you would have over the course of maybe 10 seconds was a perfect block. So if you knew there was a big onslaught of attacks coming at you, you could pop that block, just hold the block button, and then just perfect block like 10, 15 attacks all at once before going in. Uh, you know, you probably get that white bar after that, and then you're you go in, you know, for some for some murder kill stuff. Well, Casey, I saw that both of our eyes lit up at the same time when Casper mentioned that. It's like, are you going to go kick your kid out of his room and go fire up the Xbox Series X when we get <laughs> off of here and finally get yes. the perfect Where pace? is the perfect grindstone? Because that it is, is something I It is a grindstone. Need. Yeah, it's, it's a grindstone that uh, Vanina, uh, Vanina gives you where it's one of the, it's like the special one where you can't buy it, but with through the P-Organ, you can upgrade your grindstone that he gives you so you can throw two of those per battle. So if you set that as your main grindstone, you can use that twice during a boss fight when you get into some sticky situations. For the second phase of Lasexia, it's so helpful to have that because that second phase is a nightmare without it. Which uh, which boss yep. was Lasexia? Uh, that's that uh, the armored lady at the top of the Alchemist Tower. Oh, she didn't give me much trouble. I beat her on like the second try. Oh, well, I had a horrible time with the second phase until I figured out to use that grindstone so I could block all those stupid fireballs without having to time it. Yeah, oh, that's funny. Like, I, I don't know why, but I just kind of breezed through it. And I'm like, oh, well, that was a lot easier than most of these bosses have been. Uh, Mike, some of your other favorite tools that you used. Casper, did I give you a chance to complete your thought there? I'm sorry, I kind of derailed us. Yeah, that was uh, 100%. Uh, most of my stuff was just that grindstone was one of the main things that I would use. So, so you're standing there with your starter weapon, like, and no, uh, no arm attached at all. You're just like, ah, parry, counter, parry, <laughs> counter, parry. This game is easy. It's for babies. Not easy. I would die 30 to 40 times at every single one of those bosses, but but I would learn. Every time I went into a boss, it wasn't, can I beat it? It's, what can I learn this time? And then by the end, you finally <laughs> learn enough to get through it. So. Yeah. I learned, is this one resistant to fire or not? I'm sorry. Now, Mike, you can talk about the tools that you use. I was just going to say that, that puppet string is, is honestly way undervalued at first. It doesn't seem like it's much, but once you get it powered up, that thing is so good because you can use it to stun. Even bosses you can use it to stun with, frankly. It has, when it's highest value, it gives you range. It gives you a chance to dodge certain attacks, and it gives you stun effect. Although, a lot of the bosses will knock you out of it if you try to shoot straight at their face. You got to do it from the side or back most of the time, but it has tremendous stun effect if you hit them with that thing and not attack. But then I got to stop shooting fire at them. What do you expect me to do here, Mike? I do like the fire. The firearm is just fun. Just the idea of just sitting there spraying fire at everybody is tremendously fun. It was interesting when I got to the final boss fight, like I had to respect out of my firearm though. Cause it's like, 
it takes a moment or two to fire up and to like start your yeah. stream and like bosses are already gone by then it's like all right well this tool is definitely not gonna fit this occasion for me so i wound up doing the uh i don't know how to say this word and burns is gonna make fun of me aegis aegis the shield fable aegis, arm? yeah the aegis and like i used that and i was able to then block attacks and it reflects some damage back at the final boss and uh, that was part of my loadout for my final run uh i mike you said that fable arts were really important and that we should practice them after our part one discussion and like I took that to heart. I'm like, all right, yeah, I went out and I practiced a little bit. I'm like, all right, well, this is what my Acid Spear one does. And I used it a little bit, but, like, it was not something I ever thought about using until, like, I'm in a boss fight. I'm like, all right, I need to do a chunk of damage so I can get him down into range where I can throw stuff at him mm -hmm. until he dies. Um, did you guys rely more on the Fable Arts than I did? Like, for me, it was just, it was really an afterthought. Yeah, it was for me, too. Popping those Fable Arts is something I only did after a stun because... If you're not, if you haven't stunned them already, half the time I missed with my things anyway. And it's like, well, there goes three bars of Fable Arts that I just worked for 10 minutes to load up. And nah, it was it, it was definitely an afterthought unless it was stunned and I just wanted to take off a chunk of, chunk of hit points. I well, use it all I, the time. I built that. Don't go ahead. <laughs> oh, sorry. Yeah, I mean, I, I, used it, I used it all the time. I used it on boss fights. I used it on mini bosses. I used it on... Yeah. Even just sometimes, like some of the harder things that I encountered throughout the street, which for me, a lot of things were hard. So um, if I had that thing charged and I needed to do a big chunk of damage, I just let it go. I'd block and, you know, once they got just a little, even just a little stunned or whatever, like it would just seem really easy. Hit that Y button and you're doing, you know, three really high damage attacks, which which was good for me. Mike, did you ever thought about the Fable Arts as well? I totally, I used them all the time. If I had a full bar and I had even a slightly tough enemy, I'm just like, you're going to get, you know, whatever. I, I experiment with all of them. I think I used just about every weapon's special once or twice just to see if I liked them. And most of them I really did like. A lot of them are really surprisingly useful compared to some other games of this type where some of the specials end up being, you know, more trouble than they're worth a lot of the time. I thought most of these were very useful. It's uh, it's well, and like too. If you, sorry, if you, if you don't walk to fill up your your fable arts, there is a I, I don't know what they call it, but the same thing where you can chug to refill your health back. You can chug something to refill your fable arts too. So you don't right. have to always get the blocking down. You could just chug one of those and and it's ready to go again. And they give you a lot of those, so you can do it a lot if you want to, because you always have a ton of them. Do you want to guess how many yeah. of those I used in one entire playthrough? Two, zero. 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 <laughs> I hoarded my fable bar like crazy. Now, I'm not going to apologize because a win is a win, and I beat this game, and I saw credits, and I'm there proud you. of that. But what I had to do in almost every boss fight is I used throwable items like my life depended on it because, frankly, my life always depended on it. Like, when I would get down to... When I'd run out of pulse cells, I'd, I'd run out of my Estus flask or your healing mechanic for this game. And it's like, all right, well, the boss is at one-third health. It's like, all right, I guess fire up the thermite. This is my last chance. And I'd, like, run away and just chuck stuff at him. And it worked on a number of bosses, again, including the final boss. Like, I used seven thermites, and I had one, I think, um, acid canister left when I got the final hit on the final boss. Do you guys think that is a silly tactic, or uh, should I just go to bed proud of myself for winning this game? Absolutely go to bed proud of yourself because anyone you can take down a boss, it, 
it doesn't matter if you use a specter. It doesn't matter if you use items. It really doesn't matter about any of that stuff. I mean, if you got the win on a boss, that's what this game, they gave you the mechanics to use. So use them mm -hmm. however you see fit. Yeah, they're tools. They're like any, it's not using the tools they give you to me is just silly. It'd be like, well, I have a sword, but I'm going to punch him because swords seem like cheating. Yeah, <laughs> Come well, on now. There's lots of swords and stuff, but it's not like a real weapon. Like, I've never used a throwable item in any Souls like game before. So it was a weird tactic, but it's like, well, I have a whole stack of these things in my inventory. They're weak to fire. So it's like, all right, I'm just going to blast them. I, I started it with the Black Rabbit Brotherhood, and I think I used it every boss after that. I just want to just throw out one maybe underrated item that I absolutely loved using during boss fights, and that was the shot put. Did anybody else have yes. any experience with the shot put? Not a one. That is a great item. Anytime the enemy started blinking white, ready for a, a heavy attack to hit them into their prone position, a shot put would be that heavy attack. So no you could way. hit them from distance oh, yeah. with that the shot put as under. they're glowing. Yep. Get them into their prone position. Yep. I bet that shaves a solid two hours off my playtime if I had done that. Because like, <laughs> wow, wow, that is that is phenomenal. No, thanks for the tip, Gasper. Any other second like, phase of Simon? I really used some throwables because I got really sick of that second phase and his stupid hand of God attacks. That I was just like, if I got him low, I'm gonna throw every piece of crud I got at him and just finish him. Yeah, I uh, I tried like the saws. I never tried the sharp pipe. Like I don't tend to use a lot of consumables consumables and souls like games. So maybe that's why I just suck at them. Like Sekiro, I almost never use them. I just usually I hoard my resources. But in this one, I'm like, nope. I need I need those bombs. Those those pack a real punch. Who else here has finished any Final Fantasy game with like 99 elixirs, right? Because you think you're going to oh, need yeah. them for a final, final, final boss. <laughs> I, I I went through Final Fantasy X once and I literally never used an elixir the entire game and I'm, at the end I'm like you know I probably should just use these stupid things. Ah, <laughs> uh, I should play ten again. Uh, I, oh, good. Moving on to the next topic, I rarely notice the music in games, but it's another area that Liza P excels in. Where do you rank the soundtrack and music role music's role in Pinocchio's journey among like other games, Mike? I mean, I like the soundtrack a lot. I mean, at this point, soundtracks for games have gotten to a level that is, it, they're almost absurdly good at this point. I mean, honestly, I don't remember the last time I played a game and thought the soundtrack wasn't good. But the, what I really like about this game, and I should have mentioned it last time, is the diegetic music. What's a Specifically, diegetic? What's that? What's a diegetic? <laughs> It's music that is in the game world, so the characters are hearing the music. It's not the soundtrack that only the player is hearing. Oh, sure. And what I like about it is that, you know, the way they did it, it's on a record. You know, these they have record players is all they have, and it sounds like music on a record. And, like, when you're fighting that stupid fat clown puppet in the Flaming Street, there's this record player playing this sad little French tune, and that is the part of this game that's going to stick with me forever, is fighting that clown puppet in a street on fire while some sad little French song plays on a scratchy record it just it adds so much so much depth to the world makes it feel like such a lived in space when you have that type of thing it's just a detail that you know a lot of games don't bother with that I really appreciate them doing plus the way the records in the hotel played into P's development I thought was very clever too yeah, I agree. And Casper, you noticed something interesting that the studio did with their music tracks. you want to share that? 
Yeah, it was interesting. So they have another uh, another game out there. I think I think it might actually even be a rhythm game or some sort of like beatbox game. But what they did is they took the soundtrack from that game and they repurposed it for this game. But they reskinned the music, rewrote the um, um, uh, most of the music to fit the um, you know the the ambience of this, which I thought was just really really interesting and cool. Um, and this music. <laughs> way better the way they had it than the originals. So I thought it was actually a really cool uh, way they ended going. Yeah, it sounded very jazzy and cool. Phoenix noticed the music too when I was playing. She has a very discerning ear for especially jazz. Casey, did anything stand out about the soundtrack or the ambiance in the world to you? Um, yeah, I mean, I again, I did get a whole very far into it. And I don't know when, like I went over to the record player. I didn't find any records, so I don't know when you actually start finding records in the in-game, so I didn't close. get to experience any of that, unfortunately. Um, but, you know, every I, I really enjoyed everything about the ambiance and the just the environment in, in general, so um, I was really looking forward to potentially buying some of those records, because I know after watching a YouTube video, <laughs> the importance of them and, and kind of what they do, so... Um, you know, I think it's awesome, and that's just one of the other you know, things about this game, that in spite of the struggles with my combat, how much I enjoyed everything else about this game. I think in a game that emulates the Souls formula in many ways, the music and the soundtrack and the ambiance is one thing that really sets Liza P apart from all the other games in the genre. And I'm going to give a quick spoiler alert right now. We're going to dive into the story now, including the main arcs. We have about 10 minutes more with Casper before he has to jump off. So we're going to discuss some story things. So spoiler alert, if you're playing Liza P and you don't want to know what happens with the story, this is a great time to check out. Thank you so much for listening to the standalone segment of the Outside is Overrated podcast. Check us out next month when we're back for our game club discussion of Diablo 4 Part 1. Now onto the story of Liza P. The story in Liza P has two main arcs revolving around the puppet uprising and a disease running rampant through the city. Mike, how well did the narrative hold up, especially against other Souls-like titles, and then perhaps against other AAA titles in general? I don't think really well. I mean, it wasn't as it wasn't as obscure as the storytelling in, say, a From game would be. It was a little more direct, although still, you know, not straightforward storytelling. But it still was clearer than most From games are. A little more direct. Like the thing that the way I tried to sell this game to friends that like Souls games, I'm like, imagine Bloodborne, but with a story that makes sense, told in a comprehensible <laughs> manner. Like you fight a boss and you find out more about that boss and you see a cutscene that places it in the world. It's like, oh, I thought the story was really good. Especially the I I thought the endings, the things you find out at the end are really fascinating to me. I think there's a lot there. I had to unpack, especially after, you know, seeing some stuff at the very end. It just it totally retextualizes, you know, what you went through once you understand what was actually going on. Casper, you're a massive Final Fantasy fan. I know that you like games with a narrative. What did you think of the narrative and the overall story in Lies of P? So if I'm comparing Lies of P to Souls-like games, the fact that this had a narrative at all was heads and tails above any other Souls-like game out there, where most of the story in the Souls games are fan fiction. So this one started, yeah, gave you an end, and I thought it was just great having a Souls-like game with a semblance of a story to it. 
So it crushes all the FromSoft games in terms of narrative. Uh, how does it stand up against something like a massive AAA tentpole game like God of War Ragnarok, Final Fantasy 16? Like, is this story on the same par as those, like, huge tentpole games? It's not on the same stage as those. It was, it's still a little, leaves a little left to be desired, maybe in something like that for a big blockbuster title. But I didn't, from what it was up against, I, I do think that it did the Souls-like genre justice. Yeah, I definitely agree. I thought that both arcs were great. The only real quibble that I have with the story is the very end when Geppetto jumps in front of the sword. It's like he's been killing P this whole game to try to resurrect his child. There's there's the big spoiler. Uh, and at the end, like you kill his, the puppet that he's going to reanimate his child. And then it goes to a cutscene and it's like, oh, suddenly I'm losing. That's unexpected because I'm pretty sure I just killed his mother effer. And... Uh, <laughs> Then he goes for a killing blow. Geppetto jumps in front of him. I'm like, oh, okay, well, I guess he had to die somehow. I just, that that specific moment in the ending is my only issue with the entire story at large. Do you guys think I'm being too hard on that moment? No. <laughs> but did, did you see, have you seen the other ending? Uh, I saw him <laughs> give the heart to, uh, oh gosh, what was her name? Sophie? No, the uh, the other ending is if, Instead of refusing Geppetto at the end, if you just give him your heart, mm-hmm. the ending is completely different. And I, I, I know a lot about Geppetto. I was like this close to doing that after a few runs with the boss. I'm like, I don't know if I have the chops to beat this. Like, should I just give him my heart? And I stuck with it and I bought a whole bunch of thermite to get me through my final runs. And uh, um, so, no, I haven't seen that ending yet. So if you give him your heart... You die, he takes the heart, and he recreates the other puppet into Carlo. And then what you... It seems like it seems like a happy ending because you're leaving the hotel, you're right off in the train, he talks about how you're going to be a happy family. But if you go back to the hotel after that, he had the he had Carlo kill everybody at the hotel and he replaced them with puppets. Oh, jeez. And his whole plan is to replace everybody in the city with puppets because he still hates the people. Who he hate he hated everybody because his son died, even though that's because he was a father. Sorry. And uh, so his whole plan at the end is just to kill all the people and replace them with puppets anyway. And you end up helping yeah. him because you're a you know a loyal child now, so you'll kill for him. Basically, is the point. Oh, so instead of like the Grand Covenant, it's like the converse of the Grand Covenant. Like he created an unstoppable murder machine as opposed to a puppet that can't harm humans. That's why he had that law zero built into his Asimov's law, where he still could, you know, have total control of all the puppets. It was it was literally a plan from the start. Fascinating. Like I picked up on Geppetto being the bad guy pretty early on. Like he was just the way he kept laying on with, "Oh, you're such a good boy," and "Oh, it's so important that you do everything right," and blah, blah, blah. Um, one of the hooks in this game is that you're supposed to, they build it up that you're supposed to lie to NPCs all the time. Did you guys get the feeling that those lies actually played a role within the game or was it just something clever for the like die screen where they say lie or die? Well, every time you lied, it said your puppets, your, your springs are reacting or something, but if you told the truth, nothing would happen. So I did think that, you know, that mechanic, they, they were showing you something was happening or moving the you know, the, a bar, like a an alignment scale, left or right. It was your humanity. It did feel like that. The more you lied, the more human you became. That was the whole point, is humans lie. So by lying, you were becoming more human. If you tell the truth, you stay. Mo- you don't get the humanity, and you stay a puppet, in essence. Uh, 
from a meta standpoint, does that matter? Like, does it change the endings of the game? Like, is there a tangible? That you there's at the end, if I remember correctly, you have to have a certain level of humanity to get at least one of the endings. I think the one I was talking about, I think your humanity has to be high enough. Plus, there's a special weapon you only get at the end of the game for New Game Plus if your humanity is high enough. That, too. I wonder what that weapon is. Do you remember it offhand? Oh, yeah. You remember that painting Mm -hmm. of Carlo? Yep. Did you ever look at that painting after a while? Uh, I did. I kept going back to it and said, you can't use this right now. Yeah. That nose breaks off and becomes a quarterstaff type thing that you use as a weapon. Awesome. I am just about back to the hotel of my second playthrough, so that'll be interesting. Um, yeah, I don't think you get that if your humanity doesn't go high enough, I think. Listening to the records at the hotel raises humanity as well, too. I was like super duper human. Casper, we just have a couple more minutes with you. It's hard to have a standout story without mem- memorable characters. Who were some of your favorites from the cast of Liza P? So I thought they did a really good job with Geppetto, just him sort of being this overall creep and trying to get you to do what you want to do and, you know, always be a good boy. It's like, oh, well, well, why do you always want to be a good boy, right? I mean, it really did stand out. But there was one mini boss in here that really stood out to me that I thought was was almost kind of sad. And that was the white lady. Does everybody remember the white lady fighting her in uh, Rosarita Street or whatever that was, Rosalina Street? But her story was really interesting and i had to do a little bit of searching on her later on but uh, i obviously she was um the uh, the the red lady singer's sister uh already thought she was dead trying to avenge her sister but then you know sees this puppet coming along says oh i heard your gears but the second you stepped onto the street and then inviting her always seemed really sad because it seemed like she was just doing this as an a revenge standpoint because her sister had died which she hadn't died just yet the puppets hadn't killed her but i thought she just really stood out and it's like man that was like the one the one mini boss i was actually a little bit sad to, to have to take down now, she had an interesting line when she died, like, she's the white lady, and you kill her, and she's like, oh, well, now I'm finally in red, just like you, my sister. It's like, oh, well, that's, uh, tragic. And poetic at the same time, right? Especially once you meet her sister and find out what happened with, the, you know, those two. Yeah, that was really, really sad. Did I meet her sister? I don't remember the red lady. Where, she's uh, in the, the manor. She's tucked away in a little room at the top of the one floor, and you go in and talk to her, and then she, she asks for the apple you can get from elsewhere in the game. Never got oh, it. Yeah. I feel bad, Tom. I totally missed her on my first playthrough too, and I had to replay it because she ends up giving you a record that you need for uh, for platinum. Interesting. Is that in the Alchemist thing, or where is she? The Manor House. Up the stairs to the right. If you keep going to the back, there's a weapon and a chest on the right hand side at the top. But if you go to the left hand side and go through a door, she's there in a room. I, I can't place the manor house at all. My cat is clawing my leg right it, now. It's very well, right after that fat puppet, you fight, remember it, you talked about fighting him next to that save point? Yep. You go the to the manor house puppet. right after that. Oh, with the stupid puppet master dudes. Yeah, the, the spider ladies or whatever they are. Yeah. Oh, yep, that's okay. Well, man, I'm bummed that I missed that. That's a, I had a hard there's time with that place. There's this game that's just kind of tucked away. I mean, there's a whole extra area you can completely miss unless you actually kind of search it out. You know, that you totally don't have to go to that area at all if you don't want to. Yeah, so the enemies were really hard in there. Casper's got to sign off. Brandon, thank you so much for sharing your thoughts on Lies of P and uh, for joining us for our discussion tonight. Absolutely. Take care, everyone. Bye, Brandon. Casey, did you have a chance to interact with any of the noteworthy characters in the game? Or what was the most uh, interesting interaction you had with something within the world of Lies of P? 
Um, the only characters that I really had any interac interaction with besides, you know, the main one, like Geppetto, Vanini, um, were the, and I forget what their, I don't even know if they had a name, but it was the, um, the fox and the, oh, her brother, cat. Uh, cat, I think. Yeah. Yeah. So, and I know they are kind of, again, like, I love the story so much, like, I knew I wasn't going to play this probably after this so i wouldn't watch the youtube video but i know that they have a recurring role kind of throughout the entire story which you don't realize when you first meet them so they are uh probably most interesting characters that i encountered um so far in my playthrough but um yeah i don't know like it's after watching everything and, and seeing where the story evolves it's like my jaw hit the floor so <laughs> I wish I was better at this game, and maybe like if I'm get COVID again and have a bunch of days <laughs> to kill, I could try to just slog my way through this. I was just laughing at. <laughs> I wish Casper was still allowed to hear this, but like <laughs> his experience and my experience sound like they're almost the exact same thing. But in his <laughs> battles with the with the bosses, where it's taking him thirty and forty times to get through these things. He's enjoying every second of it and trying to figure out how he can best these. And I'm just screaming at the television. <laughs> so kudos to you, Casper, for actually taking joy in that, which is, is more of a uh, more of a man than I could be, I guess. I don't know. Like... Well, Casey, we've been friends for a long time. You don't strike me as somebody who takes uh, uh, struggles and failure all that well but i'll say this casper has hundreds of hours of souls experience on you and like that experience even though it's not exactly the same jumping from Sekiro to liza p to the original dark souls to bloodborne there are elements that are similar like just knowing how to position yourself against enemies and how to get to their weak spots like the more you play the better these things will get yeah well and again like watching that video today and watching person who was going through the story and like seeing how he, they were actually fighting some of these bosses i was like huh <laughs> like why didn't i think of that like why didn't i so and, and we're gonna get into this in just a, a second here for the uh like w what if you are a new player at the souls games but um yeah i think i would have totally done some things different and i do now like now that i'm playing it like how I started playing this game in the beginning was more kind of like Casper. I wanted to master the blocking system because the blocking system, I think, is like how you are supposed to probably play this game. You're supposed to time blocks and you're supposed to get perfect blocks. You're supposed to stagger them and, and all that sort of stuff. But it's an extremely hard way to play it. And as we found out through you, Tom, like you can throw bombs at bosses and and knock down their, their last life bar, which is probably something that I never would have figured out. So kudos to you for doing that. I think that's actually really cool that there is more than one way to to beat this game in the end. Whereas for me, like I just kept thinking, like, okay, I have to master this. I have to get this down and because that's kind of what I in my messed up brain. Like that's what I want to do. I want to just not only beat something, but I want to just dominate it. And and that's not really possible in this game. I don't think unless you're really, 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 really good at Souls games. Yeah. Uh, a couple more notes that I have just on characters that stood out to me. I really like the Awakened Puppets, both Pulsinella and Poladina, who you meet in the hotel. They both have different motivations and characters that they 
care for, and I thought they, they were really interesting, but I also pondered why so many puppets' names started with P. Um, and when I played through again, I want to pay more attention to Romeo. I thought that they did a really interesting thing with the story in this game. When you're fighting puppet bosses early on, they speak to you, but you don't understand it. It's all garbled speech. It's something we talked about on P1. And Mike, you mentioned in P1 that uh, eventually Vanini gives you a tool so you can understand that. And you find out late in this game that Romeo was trying to talk to you. He was sending messengers. He's like, well, I sent messengers to you, but you killed them all. So I really want to go back, fight those puppet bosses, and hear what they have to say. Like, that is the strongest pull that I think I've ever had to replay a game. Because generally, when I play something, credits roll, and I am on to the next thing. I very rarely revisit a game. Mike, that was actually kind of clever that they did that. It, it gives a little more, um, you know, basically value to a second playthrough. Although it's not, there's not too many of them that speak, just a few of the bosses. But the other thing about the characters, I wanted to mention Aladoro and Eugenie at the hotel. Uh, did you guys, I don't know if you really figured out the whole Aladoro story. Tom, you probably did, right? Yep, I did. Did you kill him? I, uh, yeah, oh, I killed him. I killed him real dead. <laughs> uh, to summarize for people who might not get through this game and for Casey there's a character that you meet named Elidoro who you meet randomly in one of the levels and he winds up being the person he's a treasure hunter and he has all these epic weapons from bosses so when you defeat a boss you get special ergo and you can trade that special ergo in for either a weapon tied to that boss or an amulet tied to that boss another reason to play through twice to get each one of those sets of things um, but you find out that Elidoro saved the blacksmith in the home base uh eugenia and she wants to repay him and you start to get the sense that something's not quite right with aladaro like the aladaro that you encounter and interact with is not matching up with what eugenia says this hero should be like and uh i thought it was really interesting how they layered on the different uh pieces of that story and how the pacing on it was really good for how you discovered what was really going on with aladaro i agree that was i thought a really nice detail uh, moving on to some of our final thoughts for this game. Casey, you had a big disadvantage being the least experienced Souls-like player on the show. I applaud you for hanging tough. Like You got to a fairly substantial part of this game. What do you wish you had known going into Lies of P? I think first, and I don't know if it really matters as far as endgame, but in the beginning, I wish I would have gone with a faster build. Um, I chose the, the heavy build, and it was very slow and trying to get the the heavy hits in after a boss was staggered. It's it's very difficult. Um, so I wish I would have gone a little bit faster and then done more dodging in the beginning. Like I said, I was super focused on trying to perfect blocking and get the perfect blocking and stuff down, and you don't have to do that. Um, as a matter of fact, dodging is a massive part of this game and is, in the beginning, probably more important than, than blocking. So if you can, if you can master the dodging and then you know switch onto the more of the blocking later in the game as as it becomes more important, then then that's what I I would have done, and I think it would have saved me a lot of frustration. Uh, something else I learned is to use the environment to your advantage. So there's different corridors and stuff that you can pull aggro onto individual puppets instead of trying to fight mobs of them at one time if you can pull individual puppets away it makes it just a heck of a lot easier to get through some of those areas uh, because they do like to stack in 
<laughs> a whole bunch of puppets in certain areas. I struggled one area in particular in the in the Vanini's factory on the outside when you have to cross a bridge and there's two or three bomb chuckers and then there's guys that hang off the edge that you don't see right away. So if you go into the bridge, they come climbing over the edge and then all of a sudden you have three three guys that are swinging swords at you and then a bunch of guys throwing bombs at you. Well, it's a lot easier if you just aggro one bomb guy at a time, pull him off the bridge, kill that guy, go back for the next guy, and so on and so forth. So if you can separate these these mobs in, in groups of, of bad guys so you're just fighting one at a time, it makes it a lot more enjoyable. Yeah, I thought that was really interesting. I thought the puzzle of how you approach each individual micro little bit of combat was really interesting because you walk into a room, there's a dude on the left, there's a dude on the right, there's a dude straight ahead. It's like, all right, how do I work the aggro? How, where do I position myself? Where can I light all three of these guys up with the flamberge at the same time? And I really enjoyed like almost that environmental puzzle solving of like the right order to take the enemies down in and perfecting the runs between each of the stargazers. And Mike, then we'll turn to you. What is some advice that you would have for noobs who need to get good at Lies of P? Well, I think he's actually already encapsulated it, which is really work on keeping it down to one-on-one -on -one fights as much as possible. You know, use the tools you have, use the environment so you're not fighting two or three guys at the same time as much as possible. Like, use throwables. They're, I forget what they're called, but there's one cheap little throwable which seems useless, basically, because it does almost no damage. Use that to attract attention. Throw it at one, get him to come away from his friends, you kill him, so that you don't fight two, you fight one at a time. I thought that was what the shot put was for. I'm like, oh, I got a whole bunch of these big balls. No so problem. Don't, use, don't use the shot put for that. That's a little bit of a waste, but there's other things you can. And, you know, like we said earlier, use throwables. I mean, that's what they're for. If you're having trouble with the section, if it's puppets, use something electric. If it's, you know, carcasses, use fire, acid, or use the tools the game gives you. Don't be afraid to experiment with all the different tools. People make these games harder than they need to be because I don't think they're willing to try enough different things you know that are possible for you to do yeah i agree and building on that like learning the elemental weaknesses is i think especially crucial in this game because like i whatever area i was in whatever i was predominantly fighting like i would change my loadout for that like if i was fighting all puppets like i'd go to my heavy blunt weapon and uh get my electric grindstone up uh whatever whatever i encountered in my first steps in an area i would you know equip myself to counter that and I'd also add that with a game, with a Souls game and with Lies of Peace specifically, just get a little better every step that you take. Focus on the best way to kill the puppet or the carcass in front of you and just build from there. Like, you're always earning ergo, and as long as you're not dying and losing that ergo, like, you're always making progress. Like, you can always level up, you can get your stats a little better, you can do a little more damage, you can have a little more health. So just focus on improving each run, each little micro area. And I like to find a couple areas where I can grind some Souls or ergo in this game and, like, through different phases of the game it's like all right well that was really hard maybe i need a little bit more health maybe i need a little more stamina maybe i need a little more advanced so my elemental attacks do more damage i just warp back to my uh grinding area do a few loops get a level or two it's like all right well let's try this again it's also a nice way to reset if you're getting really frustrated you can go back to this familiar thing you can dominate you can get your confidence back and be like all right now the archbishop is going to die that phase two doesn't surprise me anymore i am ready for this challenge So looking at the entire package, Casey, what captivated you about Liza P? 
Um, it's for me the the winner is the the story and how they took the familiarity of Pinocchio and evolved it and 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 threw it in this amazing environmental setting. Like just the the scene itself as you're walking, you know, going through the streets and seeing the the carnage from the the puppet massacre and everything else is going on. Um, and then yeah, like the 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 combat was obviously not something that that I enjoyed, but I felt like I was starting to get a little bit better hang of it. Um, and if I had a lot more time, I think I probably would be able to slog my way through it. I don't know how uh, how enjoyable enjoyable it would be, but I think the the story um, is so intriguing that it makes me want to get through it. Mike, what captivated you, and where does Liza P rank amongst your favorite games of 2023? Oh, that's a good question. I really like the atmosphere they established, the 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 design of the city, the the design of the characters, the way they use the music. It really does create its own atmosphere that's really unique for this type of game, and it helps so much when you're fighting through these waves of puppets and carcasses, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Just to feel like you're in this unique world that's kind of dark and green, you know, dreary, but at the same time there's there's charm there, and you can see what it was like before the uprising in places, and it feels like it was a beautiful city once, and that just adds a ton of depth. So where it ranks this year, probably my third favorite game of the year, honestly, I think. I haven't really made a list, but... It's behind Zelda and it's behind Armored Core 6, but that's about it, I think, for this year's games. I think I'd put a third, probably. Fascinating that Armored Core 6 is your number two game. I'd love to get into that sometime. Oh, that game is so good. Uh, I played the opening mission of it. I'm like, oh, I can see how this could be cool. Cool, I can shoot rockets. Uh, <laughs> for me, with Liza P, I was captivated by literally everything. The setting, the story, the enemy configurations, having a flamethrower for an arm, like... This game surprised me. And, like, honestly, when Casey put it up for Game Pass Forever, I said, ugh. And then at one, I'm like, oh, Christ. And then I started playing. I'm like, oh, yeah, this is, like, pretty Bloodborne. That sucks. Just walking down a corridor. And I don't know exactly where the Switch flipped, but this game surprised me, and I just I loved it. And it's going to be one of the very, very, very few games that I replay. Any other closing thoughts on Liza P before I shut down Game Pass Forever forever? <laughs> Did you uh, see the uh, end credit scene? With the wizard? Well, with, with uh, Dorothy. Yeah, uh, and I think this is a great time to bring it up. There is a stinger after the credits roll, and it is red slippers as Dorothy comes strolling into Crot. You see the fallen city behind her. Mike, how excited for you if they wind up making a follow-up game that ties into The Wizard of Oz? Oh, I think... That would be the perfect thing for them to do as a follow-up if they can do it. If they can take the the things they've learned from this game and the skill they've shown in world building and in details and atmosphere and turn it to a Lewis Carroll world, I think that could be lights out. I'd be so excited for that. I mean, I personally hope they'd go to King's Landing. I think that would be great, but I don't think that's happening. <laughs> Casey, having not beaten the game, like you saw this post-credit stinger, what are your thoughts on what comes next for Lies of P or Lies of D or the Truce of D? God only knows what it'll be called. <laughs> yeah, I think for anybody who is 
good enough to beat this game and enjoys this game, that's going to be awesome if they continue to evolve this story uh, and see where it goes and bring in different fairy tale settings. You know, they could do Alice in Wonderland. You could do, um, I don't even, I'm trying to think of other ones off the top of my head, but there's like a plethora of different stories that they could continue to evolve and, and make these amazing games for. Um, so yeah, I'm all, I'm all for it. I don't know if I'll play it unless I'm forced to, but <laughs> I think uh, Wiz has, has shown that they can make a pretty fantastic game for those who enjoy the Souls style games. Yeah, I hope they make a lot more games in this formula and that they're all as awesome as Lies of P. Well, thank you so much for joining us for this closing discussion of Lies of P. This is the end of the Game Pass Forever segment. I want to thank the OIO community for playing along with many of these games as I accidentally hit page up and frantically scroll back to my closing notes. Um, and thank you to our Patreon supporters for choosing some great titles for us to actually dive into. You can find our annual year-end ranking show in your podcast feed now, Liza P. I managed to keep it relatively high on the list despite Casey hating it with a burning, fiery passion. <laughs> Uh, but you can check out it's our rankings for 2023 as well as where those games fit in our overall game pass rankings moving forward we are going forward with the oio game club i encourage you to play diablo 4 with us and then we're going to discuss it in the middle of the month in january with part one and part two in the middle of february we'll catch you next month stay inside kids